Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Buffalo Bills legend and Pro Football Hall of Famer, Thurman Thomas. All right, let's do this! And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I'm joined by a Bills legend. He's a five-time Pro Bowler and MVP. He was selected to the NFL Hall of Fame in 2007. Ladies and gentlemen, Thurman Thomas. Thurman, thanks for coming on the program. Absolutely. Great to be here, man, and and great to uh, run into you at uh, Big Poppy and talk about this, and here we are, man. Here we go. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, for you listening out there uh, on the Boone podcast, Thurman and my and, and myself go way back. We we were neighbors uh, years ago. Years ago, Thurman was just finishing up his career. I was I was nearing the end of mine. But uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's going to be good to to catch up. Um, out of the shoot, tell me something about those Bills teams you don't get asked about. <clears throat> well, probably the most question I get asked about is, how come you guys didn't win a Super Bowl? Hey, you went to four in a row. Um, but I think if you look at all three, all four Super Bowls, uh, the most question that I get asked is, how do you guys feel about Scott Norwood right now? Um, I think that's kind of where people are at. Uh, I think nowadays you kind of people kind of say, wow, that was a great accomplishment. I know you wanted to win one, but go to four and, and, and do you guys stay in contact with Scott Norwood? And the answer to that is that is absolutely. Yes, we do. We love him like a brother and uh, he's been a part of our family for a long, long time. And uh, to see and to hear that question always asked among other people is like, you know what? We win as a team, we lose as a team. And we've never, not one guy that's ever been on that Super Bowl run has ever blamed that uh, that kick, that loss to the Giants on Scott Norwood. So um, when you talk about those Super Bowls, that is kind of what everybody talks about, about the relationship that we have with Scott Norwood, which is great. Yeah, and I think, and we'll, we'll probably touch on it later. I, you know, we had buddy of yours, obviously, an intricate part of that team, uh, Andre Reed on. And, yeah. and you think about it at the time when you're going through it, man, that had to be tough. It's like not four in a row we lose. Right. But then I think about it at, at playing a game at the highest level. Obviously, I, I was never on the gridiron, but man, just getting to that ultimate, getting to that World Series, getting to that Super Bowl, it's so tough. And the fact that it yeah, it probably at the time hurt, but there's not too many people say they stepped on that, that Super Bowl field four times. And, and as, t- as years go on, I just think, man, I'd r- much rather be there than not have been there. You know, I, 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 I remember, again, this is nothing, you know, it's, it's not comparable. It's a smaller stage, but I remember going to a, to a home run derby in 2003 and I was pathetic. I hit no homers <laughs> and the whole second half of the year, Thurman, everywhere I went, Oh, nice home run derby boot. You know, <laughs> team teammates would teammates would be giving me a hard time. And after a while, I just kind of turned to him. I'm saying, you know what? Until you get invited to one of those, you have no comment. How about that? Yeah. 
So, <laughs> so I think about those Bills teams, I think, you know, yeah, man, that's got to be tough. But I, what I'd give to go to four World Series in a row. And, of course, you want to win one. But but what a right. great run. What a great team. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about uh, that a lot later. Yeah. You're born, born in Houston, Texas. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to hear about young Thurman Thomas as a kid. What were you like? I know you're a football player. Who was your team? Who was your favorite player? Did you play other sports? Uh, Booney, actually, you know what? Um, my football career didn't get started until, what, eighth grade? Um, believe it, I was a baseball player. <laughs> I was a baseball player growing up. I was the only child and uh, and uncles on my on my dad's side played a lot of baseball. Um, and I as a young kid, um, I used to go to see the Oakland Athletics and the San Francisco Giants because my grandparents lived in in Oakland, California. So very at the end of their career, I got a chance to see Reggie Jackson and Willie McCovey after he, even he came back. Uh, so it was uh, baseball was my first love growing up and not my parents um, end up uh, moving to a new area. And of all the sports that they had, they didn't have uh, baseball. And so I had to try for football. It was something that I kind of played a little bit as a kid in the streets in Houston, but never was never was on a, like a team. Actually, you know, it was baseball year round, 300 just 24 seven for me. And, uh, so being the only child, uh, growing up in Houston, uh, I was always considered a great athlete and just did things that my parents and my aunts and uncle were like, you know, this kid has something. And that was at a very young age. So end up moving from Houston all the way out to, um, Missouri city, Texas, Sugarland out by Sugarland, Texas, and, um, started up a new high school out there. And, um, you know, went to be an, an All American in in uh, in high school at the running back position, and uh, and that's pretty much how my baseball season, my baseball career ended. Moving to a different neighborhood because my mom said she wasn't going to drive me forty five minutes to just to go practice, and that was not happening. So I chose I chose football, and I guess you can say the rest is history. I think it worked out pretty good for you. Tell me about that. All right. I never, I, you know, obviously I've been to Texas, didn't grow up there, but it's legendary. Texas high school football. The whole town comes out. It's like a big deal. Southern California, uh, it, it's a big deal. You know, if you go to a big high school, it's, right. it's you know, the the Saturday night games, you pack the, the stands. But I, I don't think it's anything like Texas football, Texas high school football. Yeah, it, it was it was unbelievable, Pony. Um, you know, playing. You know, my senior year, after we had my sophomore year, we won a cha- we lost a championship, and my junior year, we won a championship, went fifteen and zero, and so we were the number one uh, rated football team in USA Today. Uh, my senior year, and we played in front of fifty thousand folks in the Astrodome. Now. I'm sure you've been to the old Astrodome before. Or maybe you haven't. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I played have. many, many years there. Many yeah, years. Many years there, right? And so being in Texas and having 50,000 folks. Now, of course, there were games like played like at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock or whatever. And so we were slotted for the 2 o'clock. And it was 50,000 folks already in the Astrodome. And those were the type of crowds that um, – that you played in front of. Now, my 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 high school, uh, we only seated ten thousand, 
but we were like, you know, it was a big stadium because we we uh, shared it with Dulles High School. And uh, and so we were you no, know, we were around the seventy five hundred mark. And you talk about Friday night, man, they cut every they shut everything down. And it's Texas football Friday night across the state of Texas. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it had to be and fifty thousand. You know, I played in the huge. I played in the Astrodome a lot of times. I don't think I've ever played in front of fifty thousand there, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was something. So how'd you get to Oklahoma State? Tell me about that recruiting process. Was that your first choice? How'd that come about? Well, you know what? Being from Texas, you don't leave the state of Texas, and I was like number two in the state of Texas behind uh, uh, Tim Brown. Uh, we came out the same year, and uh, overall, I think I was like 10 across uh, USA Today and across the United States. So uh, when you're in Texas and you play football, you don't leave the university. You don't leave the state of Texas. You either go to Texas A&M or University of Texas. Those were the two schools. And so having my recruiting year start, you know, obviously I was an Earl Campbell fan. Earl Campbell was my guy coming out of Tyler, Texas, and going to the University of Houston and then getting drafted by the Houston Oilers, number one pick. And so that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to the University of Texas. And so I get there on a visit. And at the time, Fred Akers is the head coach. And um, I walk into his office after, you know, hanging around with a couple of guys. After the guy that showed me around was Jerry Gray, defensive back uh, for, um, for the Longhorns at that time. And – I walk into the office and sit down and talk to Coach Akers, you know, and he said, you know what, Thurman, you know, your junior year, you was a, you were all state a defensive back. And I think that's where we would like for you to – that's the position that we would like for you to try out at. I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. So I left that meeting, man, going like, well, I'm not going to the University of Texas because I don't want to play defensive back. I want to play running back. And so I left that meeting, and my next visit was Texas A&M. Jackie Sherrill was the head coach. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because I go to a dinner one night, and all of a sudden I'm sitting at the table with Jackie Sherrill, Hugh Green, and Tony Dorsett. I'm like, wow, it can't get much bigger than this, right? So get the talking and just having dinner. So the next day I go into Coach Sherrill's office and – you know what he said? He said the exact same thing. Thurman, we want you to play defensive back. And I'm thinking to myself, I got the top two schools. I want to go to either one of these schools, and they both want me to play defensive back. I said, there's no way. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it at all. Uh, so my third visit was to Oklahoma State. And at the time, Jimmy Johnson was the head coach. And so I go to Oklahoma State, and I absolutely fall in love with the small town. Stillwater, Oklahoma, you know, 50,000 people there, 35,000 are are, are the students that go to Oklahoma State. And so I talked to Jimmy, and Jimmy was like, look, I heard Jackie Sherrill and um, Fred Akers want you to play defensive back. We want you to play running back here. You're going to be number six on the depth chart, and we can go from there. I said, Coach, you got yourself a deal. I said, I got two more visits that I have to go to, but – I am going to uh, – I have committed to Oklahoma State and coming here. And so we get ready to leave, and my mom comes in and said, Jimmy, you promise that you'll be here for four years that Thurman is, our, that Thurman is at Oklahoma State. And he said, yes, ma'am, I promise. Now, obviously, you know, two weeks later, 
he went to the University of Miami. So my mom has hated him ever since. <laughs> yeah, my mom has hated him ever since. So that's how um, that's how it worked out for uh, Oklahoma State. They told me that I can wear number thirty four, which I have worn through since I started playing football back in the eighth grade. I've worn thirty four all my life, and they said you can have it. And that was it, man. The rest is history at that school. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? Hey, thanks, Boone. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. Hey, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So why wait? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code Boone, B-O-O-N-E. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code Boone this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to my interview with Thurman Thomas. Blows my mind. It's like you're, you're, you're running back. Uh, we want you to be a defensive back. But Brett, you're a shortstop. We're going to have you here at SC, but we want you to pitch. Well, no, no, I, I had a pitcher. <laughs> yeah, but we think your skill set translates to pitching. Well, right, what, about exactly, my skill, yeah. what about my skill set about the position I like playing? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the thing about it, I even held a press conference at my high school because there was stuff floating out that, you know, Teams wanted me to play defensive back. I did a press conference at high school to let everybody know that I was playing running back. I was not playing cornerback. So you get to Oklahoma State. Uh, you kind of you break through your sophomore year. You're an All-American. You run for 1,500 yards, uh, fourth best in the country. Junior year, tear your ACL. Yeah. Take me through that. I've I've had a lot of teammates. My brother actually did it. But I've had a lot of teammates go through that. That's usually once that happens, if everything's done right, you go through the surgery. Best of my recollection, that's a year on the shelf, right? Yeah, that's a year on the shelf. And um, yeah, so my, my roommates, they were, you know, my room, one of my roommates was Hartley Dykes, who was a basketball player and went to Oklahoma State in 1985, a year after I did. Um, and we had a couple of guys who played basketball, you know, big guys, six four, six five, that played football, but really loved basketball. And they were like, hey, we're going over to the wreck at three o'clock, you know, to play basketball. I'm like, man, I'm here on a football scholarship. I ain't got time for no for no basketball. So so everybody kept coming in and ragging me, oh you come on, come on, what you can't play, what blah, blah blah blah, whatever. And man, I get to go to the gym and about 15 minutes into it, you know, I get a breakaway. Now, I'm an athlete. I can jump pretty high. I've dunked before, um, you know. So I feel like, you know, this was an opportunity for me to get up and and do a dunk. Well, 
as soon as I planted, my ACL just popped, right? And uh, I walked off the court, went to uh, to see our doctor, and we did x-rays or whatever they had back then. Um, and, um, yeah, they said, you have a uh, – you didn't tear it all the way. You have a slightly – about a 60% tear in your ACL. And – you know, we can have surgery on it. You can miss a year. And I'm like, nah, dog, we, we got to find something else. I'm, I'm, I'm not missing a year because, for one, um, going into my junior year, I was one of the leading candidates for the Heisman Trophy. And number two, at, I didn't notice at the time, but my backup was this little guy from Wichita <laughs> named Barry Sanders. <laughs> so, He's going to take your job. <laughs> so I'm like, screw surgery. I'm I'm playing this year. <laughs> wow. I don't care what y'all say, you know. So, but I end up wearing a brace. It was called a CTI brace, and um, they flew it in for about after a week of just doing kind of morally rehab and stuff like that. And so they flew it in for they had it fitted for my leg, and you know what? It was the best thing for me. Now I didn't have a great junior year, but in the spring. I told my coach, Pat Jones, at the time, I said, I got to go at it, coach. I I, I got to see if my knee is going to hold up with this brace. I need to start making the cuts that I need to make. So don't hold me out of spring practice. Do not do that. Let me go out and do what I'm supposed to do. So I go out the first spring practice, man, it was it was on. I made a cut that I didn't even realize that I made until I watched the film the, the, uh, the next day. And I went back and told my coach and all the rest of the guys, like, I'm back. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. And uh, end up having a great senior year. Yeah, All-American your senior year. You mentioned Barry Sanders. Um, that's pretty cool. You, you're kind of his mentor. Ends up being a Hall of Famer like yourself. Did you, did, could you see it then? Do you know Barry was going to be as good as he, he ended up being? Now, you know what? His first, his first and second, his first year, no. I mean, because he just didn't, you know, was, he was 18 years old and we didn't particularly have a good offensive line, uh, which was my junior year. His was his uh, his freshman year. And you've seen a little bit, but you didn't really see a lot. And we were six and five that year, so we weren't really good. But my senior year, you started to see a little a little glance of it, you know, a little glimpse of it. And uh, and so. I was the type of guy that, you know, if we're blowing out somebody, hey, let the let the other guys play. You know, let Barry play. Let Mitch Nash and Curtis Looper and a couple of other guys behind us, let them play. You know, and Barry as a backup, I think, I, don't, I can't remember how many yards I gained my senior year, but he had close to like almost 800. I mean, he almost had 1,000 yards just being my backup. And so, man, after I left and got drafted by the Bills in the second round, he took over and – Man, you talk about a guy that exploded. I mean, he still holds like 20 to 25 records in the NCAA as far as rushing. Um, just an, an unbelievable year that he had. And I used to remember my running back coach with the Bills always saying, looks like we drafted the wrong damn guy. I'm like, oh, come on, coach. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, fantastic young man. Uh, got to grow him. Like, we were roommates my junior year, his first year. So, just an unbelievable guy and uh man just 
had a great career, man, but I hate that it ended on the note that it ended with the Detroit Lions. But you know what? He was the Detroit Lions. I mean, they didn't give that guy any help. And when you look at all the great athletes, here is the one guy who you wish would have had an opportunity to be on the great, the biggest stage, which is the Super Bowl. And he never got that opportunity because, you know, in my opinion, I don't think Detroit did enough to get to get him some help on the football field. 87, you guys beat West Virginia in the Sun Bowl. And now, preparing for the draft. Uh, how, what was your preparation for the draft? Take me through draft day. I know you you were slated to be a number one pick. You ended up going yep. 40th overall, second round for the Bills. Yeah. Uh, but, I, but I, you know, baseball draft, much different. Now, the baseball draft's trying to catch up to the NFL draft now, and they're starting to televise it. But back, back when I was getting drafted in 1990, I mean, I'd be lucky to get a telegram. You know, it wasn't on TV. And if I wasn't a first round pick, it's like right. maybe maybe you'll get a letter tomorrow or something, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So so my obviously my draft day is a little bit different. Than your draft day. Uh, take me through that draft day. And, and did you do the combine or what did you do leading up to that draft? Yeah, I, I did the combine. Uh, <clears throat> I had a coach, uh, John Stuckey, who was our strength and conditioning coach at Oklahoma State. And he got me prepared, uh, you know, my 40 time, a vertical uh, I wasn't a particularly guy that was like like to lift weights, so that was something that we did, but we kind of stayed away from it. I ended up going to the combine, getting invited to the combine, and um, man, I talked to about four or five teams. Man, like the Houston Oilers, my home team, uh, Atlanta Falcons, uh, the LA Rams, and uh, and the New Orleans Saints. That you know, off all of those teams said that they were going to take me in the first round. I went there. Obviously there were questions about my knee, but I got rave reviews throughout the entire combine when I was there past the physical, everything was going great. You know, um, I ran the 40 grade. I ran, a, I think I ran a four, four, six at the time. And, uh, and that was with like my brace on my knee. Cause they wanted to see, you know, my sprints and my elusiveness and all this stuff going through these uh, type of drills. And uh, so, you know, leading up to um, the NFL draft, I was like, I was a guy, they put me on television. They actually put me on television. Like I was the first guy to ever do that. It was on television in Stillwater. Uh, ESPN came there with uh, Andrea Kramer, if you remember her. I remember her. Big eyes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so the draft kicks off, man, and all of a sudden, you know, here comes the picks where they start taking the running backs, and Gaston Green goes in the head in front of me, Brad Muster, uh, Craig Ironhead, Hayward, John Stevens, um, Icky Woods, Tony Jeffries, and uh, God. One more guy. Who is the guy? Gaston Green. All seven of those running back go in front of me. The first round is over, and, you know, ESPN asked me, do you want us to leave? I said, hell no. Everybody's staying. You're not going anywhere, Andrea, until I get drafted. And obviously, later, hours later, the Buffalo Bills called me with the 40th pick and uh, took me in the second round. Yeah, it's amazing. Us baseball players, we always watch the NFL draft. We're like, we, they got to know before the because. And, and then I had Bledsoe on the on the uh, show, and he, you know, he was 
first overall. And, and then I had Rick Meyer who ended up going number two and I asked them both and they said, Booney, we knew we were going to go high. You know, we were slated, but we had no definitive answer. Like we're taking you until they actually right. took us. So that, mm-hmm. that's, that's interesting, especially when you got the cameras on you, you know, you're kind of, you got your family there. Everybody's proud of you. They're ready to go. You're, you're like, come on, let's be a first round pick. You see these guys going by and you're like, wait a minute. Are, am I ever going to get picked? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, going from, from the first round to the second round, you know, I, you know, you didn't lost quite quite a bit of money. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I had my, I had my parents were there. And so, uh, yeah, it was a very, uh, it was, it was a happy time at the beginning, but turned into sad, but then turned off into really pissed off. And whoever didn't draft me was going to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I remember and We're young men, you know, we're, we're sitting there. We're still vulnerable. We're still emotionally growing up. I remember I, you know, they told me, uh, you might be late in the first round. I ended up going to the fifth round. I'm telling you, I'm sitting there and I get the phone call and I call my dad. Now this is bullshit. Dad. (laughs) How dare they? Don't they know who they're? And my dad's sitting on the other line. He's like, are you done? And (laughs) I said, yeah, you know, my dad's still playing at the time. And he says, and he said, Brett, he goes, life ain't fair, man. He said, what are you going to do? Have them do the draft over? He said, the bottom line is whether you're fifth round pick or you're not, it doesn't matter. The board says you are. I suggest you, 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 you go out and you negotiate the best contract you can. You go to the minor leagues, you play like hell and you get to the big leagues. So you either have a career in this or not, but sitting around and pouting's going to do you no good. And that was the first thing. That's, that was the first thing I heard from my dad. And I kind of, you know, I moped around for a day, like how dare they. And then I end up signing a contract and then, yeah, the rest of for us is history you know once we get that uniform on we just want to show every, we want to prove them wrong i'm sure you wanted to prove hey i'm not a second round pick you should have taken me in the first round and uh, I, I i had the same mindset as i'm going to prove to you i remember going to instructional ball that our first round pick was there and i'm looking at him going how did they take you before me i'm going to show you that i'm better than you and leapfrog you and uh it's interesting but when we're kids that's that's how we think you know we don't have yeah. that experience yet yep all right, so you're off to Buffalo. A little bit of a – was it a shock for you? Is it different than you're used to in Oklahoma? Definitely different than Texas from a, from a weather standpoint. It can get cold in Buffalo, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> Booney, when, when I got drafted by the Buffalo Bills, only thing that I heard was New York. That's where it's at, right? <laughs> Buffalo, New York. Hell, I hadn't been past Kansas living from – Playing at Oklahoma State, where the big twelve, it was a big eight. Then you know we never came up to the northeast. But when I heard New York, I heard like, well, damn, I might be able to go to the Knicks game, the Yankees, and you know go see the the Knicks and the Nets and all all these New York hockey teams. And I flew into Buffalo. I I didn't see one tall building. Um, it was snow all over the ground, and I was like, what have I got myself into? You know, who, who who really has drafted me? But um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, uh, Booney. And um, you know, I get I get choked up a lot of because a lot of went into, you know, what I was prepared to do and how I was prepared to do. Uh, you know, I met Patty, my wife, my senior year at Oklahoma State. She was a walk-on golfer, a freshman uh, at Oklahoma State. And 
end up getting drafted by Buffalo and she was from Buffalo, my hometown. And now what, 35 years later, you know, we, we were still in Buffalo and we're still together with four kids and a grandson that we just, that my daughter just had four months ago. So everything really worked out best for us and best for me uh, as an individual. And, uh, you know, once you, once I got here and saw guys like Jim Kelly and Bruce Smith and Daryl Talley, you know, I knew that I was in a perfect position, a perfect team uh, that I wanted to be with. Yeah, very cool. Uh, right out of the gate, 88. You run for 880 yards. Uh, pretty good freshman season in the NFL. And then the, and then the run starts. And, and when you when you break it down, it's a pretty damn impressive run. From 89 to, <laughs> to 94, or 89 to 93, you're a pro bowler every year, couple of the years, uh, first team all pro. Uh, you're the MVP in 1991. And that, that Super Bowl run starts in 1991 your MVP season you ran for 1400 1400 yards and, and you meet the Giants take me through a t- the time in Buffalo you mentioned Bruce Smith you mentioned Kelly and and uh, obviously Andre Reed was a big part of that uh, part of that ball club um, it had to be a magical time for you not only are you kicking butt and having Pro Bowl year after Pro Bowl year but you're going to the Super Bowl every year I, I mean it 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 must. I wouldn't think it would ever get old going, you know, for that Super Bowl week, getting that prep and going down and do Radio Row or whatever they call it. You got to do it four right. years in a row with an unbelievable team. Just take me through those years in Buffalo, how special they were. They were really special because if you look at the history of the Buffalo Bills, there hasn't been a lot of winning. I mean, you can go all the way back from the team was founded back in 1960 all the way to now, uh, you know, we're we're still below uh, below 500 as far as wins and losses, along with some ties. So, I mean, you think about the years of Buffalo, you go all the way back to Jack Kemp uh, being the quarterback for the Bills. Then you move forward. You talk about O.J. Simpson and the years that he had here in, in Buffalo. And up until that point when – we started our run. That was kind of pretty much the history of the Buffalo Bills. You know, nobody really wanted to go to Buffalo. Um, a lot of players around the league at that time did not um, have a good understanding of the owner, Mr. Wilson at the time, who's, who passed away years ago. Uh, nobody really wanted to come to Buffalo. And I think we kind of changed that a little bit during the four years that we went to the Super Bowl. But I tell you what. These fans are remarkable. Uh, these fans are fantastic. They have supported this organization throughout the, the years of losing the four Super Bowls, going to 17 years of not going to the playoffs, not even being competitive, because along that time you had New England and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick really kind of running the division for the last for the first 20 years. And that kind of set Buffalo back. And uh, but it's a great town to play in. I mean, myself lives here. Jim Kelly lives here. Steve Tasker lives here. We have the highest number of retired players that live in their city that they play from in the National Football League. And then you're talking about California. You're talking about Texas. You're talking about um, Florida. You're talking about New York. But we have one. Of, we have the highest. Um, 
rating the former players that live in the city that they played. And uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I wish we could have won one of those Super Bowls for the city of Buffalo, but I tell you what, they have supported us because they figure one day it's going to happen for the Buffalo Bills and Bills Mafia. And uh, and just as former players that played in those four Super Bowls, we're, we're, the one thing that we're, we always say is that, you know what, we, we just really wish we could have felt that moment of what it is to win a Super Bowl. But the fans respect that. They know that we went out and tried our best to do to, to, to help this team and put this team on the map. But I think going to four Super Bowls in a row, even though we lost, what, two to the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Redskins, at that point in time, you would thought that that would take Buffalo to another level, but it didn't. And uh, But right now, I think we're getting back to that level. Uh, we were in the playoffs now for the fourth time in five years. So this city is really excited about this football team that we have right now. And, uh, Look, we we have a playoff game coming up against the Patriots, and uh, you got a lot of former guys that played on those four Super Bowls. They're coming back this weekend just to be a part of it. Very cool. Uh, from afar, watching Marv Levy. Give me a little Marv Levy. <laughs> Give me a little Marv Levy. What was Marv Levy like? It'd be like you asking me, Booney, what was Lou Pinella like? He looks like a madman out on the field. Lou is one of my favorite all time. I, now, I don't yeah. want to put any words in your mouth, but you know how guys in other sports always look at your sport and go, I wonder what he's like you right, know, on the right. field for real. Oh how, was, how was Marv? Marv was great, man. You know what? I, as much as people talk about, like, you know, having that head coach, you know, that talks about, football all the time. Marv Levy used to open up his his team meetings with history lessons of how it related to football and how men, what you did outside of the field matters so much more than what you did on the field. Marv Levy was a great I can't say was a great guy. Still is a great guy. He's ninety freaking six right now. Yeah. <laughs> when I got when I got here, Marv Levy was sixty six years old, and he's ninety six right now. And every time uh, we get a chance to see each other, we usually only see each other about once a year. Uh, we'll see each other at the Hall of Fame, and the first thing that he always says is, "How's that lovely wife of yours, Patty, doing?" And how are the kids? And so, saying that and Doing that, Marv was uh, Marv was a great coach, man. And uh, you know, Marv would Marv would curse at a team meeting at eight a.m. in the morning, and he would apologize like at eight o five in the middle of another. Hey guys, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that word, you know. But right. that's the type of guy that he was, man. He was he was outstanding uh, for a lot of players on this football team because when you think about it. Marv Levy had to control a lot of egos on that football team. You're talking about Jim, myself, Bruce, Cornelius Bennett, Andre Reed. I mean, you, you, I mean, that's three or four Hall of Famers right there that I just named off. And we all, you know, in a small town had different egos. and But Marv dealt with that very, very well. And, uh, you know, he's one of the guys that we – Make sure that we call every single year, wish him happy birthday because he's uh, played a vital, important role in our lives. 95 and 96, you rush for over 1,000 yards once again. And give me, a, give me a little bit of a snapshot. When you're going through that run that you had where you're just, you know, top, 
top guy in the league. I mean, you're just you're pounding it every year. What's that relationship with your offensive line? I know John Fina, Glenn Parker, a couple of the guys. How's that relationship? I know, you know, you hear the stories about quarterbacks that have a great year and they take all their linemen out and they buy them Rolexes. Yeah. Now, now they're blocking for you. <laughs> You're running for a lot of yards. Is Do you have a, any sort of special relationship with them? Oh, absolutely. I used to – Ken Hall, who was our center for a number of those years, used to have a golf tournament in Mississippi. And I go down there and – I go down there and stay for a week playing golf. First time ever going out hunting, uh, turkey hunting. Uh, I learned all at it from Kent Hall, my center who played for a long time. Uh, Jim Richter, who is a airline pilot, um, used to take me on a lot of flights, you know, just to kind of get the feel of it. So, man, my offensive line and Will Wolford, who was our left tackle, used to always invite the running backs. Now, I used to go down there and stay with him, too. You know, he, he lives in Kentucky, so we drink bourbon for a week, you know. So I was I was always intact and always great with, uh, with the offensive linemen. I mean, when you really talk about the success that I had and the success that Jim had, we always talk about our, our offensive line, man, because we, we couldn't do it without those guys. Um, now, I played running back. I didn't play quarterback, so I couldn't give those guys Rolexes, but I gave them, like, trophies or whatever. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I gave him like trophies, you know, so I, I, I wasn't making the big bucks like Jim was making. So, um, but uh, yeah, all those guys all the way throughout my career with the Buffalo Bills, I always did something special, you know, for those guys because they were the one that was doing all the dirty work while I was getting the praise of, you know, rushing for over 100 yards or 1,000 yards, you know, but those guys, you know, always sat back and didn't really say too much. And uh, But I gave a lot of credit and mostly all the credit to the offensive line because over 12 years playing with the Buffalo Bills, you saw guys come in after our run was over. The offense would kind of change a little bit. So you had to learn about, you know, getting to know John Fina and getting to know Glenn Parker, uh, Ruben Brown, you know, guys like that. So – uh, but being a running back and being with the run game and the passing game, you know, you got to know those guys very, very well. After the 99th season, you're headed to Miami. Now you've been, since you're a baby, you've been, you, you come to the bills in 88 yeah. and in 2000, your last year, you go to Miami for kind right. of your last hurrah. Uh, surreal for you? Like, really, I'm not going to be a bill anymore. Was it, was it kind of weird for you or was it, the writing was on the wall. It's time to move on. Um, no, I don't. The writing was not on the wall <clears throat> for me to move on. Um, I hadn't. I hadn't heard anything about it. I hadn't. What wasn't told anything about it. And you know, my last year when I was I was actually let go. I it was my first year that we moved in our house in Orlando, and. Um, I'm watching ESPN and all of a sudden the tracker goes by that Bruce Smith, Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas have been released by the Buffalo Bills. Now that's the first time that I've ever heard that I'm looking at myself and I am out. Patty looks at me and go, I say, I think I, I've been released by the Buffalo Bills on ESPN and don't even know about it. And so a day or two go by and I finally get a call from Wade Phillips, who's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Say that, yeah, uh, they decided a, year, a, a day ago that they were, they were going to release you. Did anybody call you? I said, wait, 
Nobody called me. So now at this point in time, I am pissed off. I am pissed off. So where I wanted to pick up the phone and call the owner of the Buffalo Bills, Mr. Wilson, but I decided not to. And so that was my departure from the Buffalo Bills. And I was really pissed off about it. Myself, Andre and Bruce Smith. Um, I felt like I had done so much for that organization, so much for that uh, community. And you know how people always say, well, it's a business. No, this wasn't business. This was what, you know what? Kent Hall didn't go out this way. Jim Kelly didn't go out this way. Why the hell do we have to go out this way? And nobody received a phone call. Now, I don't know what happened with Bruce and Andre, but I was pissed. I was pissed. I, I you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do something that would, would, would hurt them. And going to the Miami Dolphins, yeah, it hurt the, it hurt the Bills fans, but I wanted to go to the Dolphins for two reasons. And that's to kick the shit out of the Bills twice a year. I didn't care if we went two and 14, as long as we beat the, uh, beat the Bills, that was my point. That's what I wanted to do. And I did it. And we ended up playing them early in the season. And, I got a phone call from Mr. Wilson after about the third time I said, I didn't want to talk to him. And I finally talked to him and he apologized for the way that everything went down for um, everything went down in Buffalo. He said, you know what, if you wanted to retire as a Buffalo bill, I'll make that happen. I said, all right, well, when I retire and finish my career with the Miami dolphins, I'll call and let you know that I'm ready to come back home and sign a, sign a one-day one day contract and retire as a Buffalo Bill. Now, had that conversation happened before I was released, I would have retired and say, you know what, I played for the Buffalo Bills for 12 years in a row, and that would have been the end of my career. But I was so pissed off about it, I wanted to get back at the organization, and that's what I did. I can imagine. And, by the way, I didn't know that story. I mean, that's interesting, the way it <laughs> the way it transpired, especially with the with – the, 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 uh, you know, the high profile names you mentioned that went along with you. It's like you guys were the core of that, not only that team, that city for a decade. And, and to have it happen that way, I mean, it's just it, kind of yeah. something you wouldn't believe. Something you I, believe. <clears throat> excuse me. I've got, all right, I got a story for it. I've told it before. Uh, this is probably 2000, 2001. I'm sitting there and, and I'm playing. I'm in Seattle and I'm, I'm signing autographs before after batting practice before i go in to get ready for the game yeah <laughs> and you know how kids when you sign autographs kids are throwing stuff hey throwing balls hats yeah. gloves they're literally gloves and i'm not really paying attention i'm having a conversation i'm just signing stuff throwing it up in the stands well come to find out you know i i finish and and i go into the dugout and i go up and i do my pregame ritual and i'm eating my my dinner before the game and now I go to my locker to get ready. You know, I got 20 minutes for the game start. My routine starts now. I'm going to go down to the cage and I gather all my stuff. You know, I got my batting gloves there and I got my bats, the, you know, the gamers for that night. I got my glove waiting. And all of a sudden, I can't find my glove. And I start yelling at people. Where is my gamer? Because my, my backup sitting right there. But my gamer, you cannot touch my gamer, especially right. before the game. So I'm in a little bit of a panic. 
And I'm thinking someone's paying a, playing a trick on me or something. I, nobody can find it. I'm yelling at the clubhouse kids like it's their fault. I go down there with my backup. Now it's pretty broken in, but I'm a little worried about it. Like this isn't quite right. I end up playing the game. Everything goes fine. And I kind of put out an APB after the game. We didn't have Twitter back then, and you couldn't just put out Instagram out. So I, I got to go to the radio and TV people and say on the post-game show, could you mention – I don't know what I did with my game glove. Does anybody have it out there? There's a big reward. You know, I'll sign a bat and a jersey, whatever you need. I just really need my gamer back. And come to find out, it gets returned to me the next day. And I get this glove back. And my third baseman at the time is uh, David Bell, who's the current manager of the Reds. Mm -hmm. And his, his signature's on my glove. Mm -hmm. And I walk over to David. A fan had returned it. And I go to Bell. I said, what is this? He goes, oh, that's my signature. He goes, oh, I didn't know that was your glove. So after the game, I had thrown it up in the stands when I was signing autographs. <laughs> Some kid out in the parking lot flags down David Bell after the game, has him sign my game, my, my gamer. And he doesn't even know anything about it. I said, David, you know my glove, how ugly it is. How could you not know that's my – he goes, I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, long story short, I got my gamer back. Now that kicks it to give me your helmet story. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I knew it was going there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, it's in Minnesota, and um, we're playing the Redskins. Um we win the toss, but we want our defense to go out there first. So, you know, if you're going from like if you're going from like north to south, if the Redskins are going north to south, so I'm gonna obviously put my helmet down on the south side. I'm like, all right, no problem, whatever. You know, that's that's just kind of how you do it throughout the kickoff of the game, whether it's gonna be left or right or whatever, you know. And my shit is always like on the 34-yard line. I'm like, okay, well shit, that's no problem. So the Redskins go one, two, three, punt. They punt. All right, I'm looking around. I'm like, damn, where is my helmet at? And I turn around, I'm like, it's not there. So now, like you, I'm in a panic. And the only reason that I'm in a panic so early is that because when you go one, two, three, and punt on fourth down, there's no commercial break. There's no commercial break in between. Now, had they got like a first down and then we stopped them and they punted in, there's a commercial break. But you in the National Football League, I don't think a lot of people know that there's not a break in between. So I'm, I'm I wanted to run to Marv Levin and tell him to call a timeout. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. But I turned around, it was out there. Somehow it was behind the behind some big speaker. Somebody just kind of knocked it off the seats that we were sitting on. So I didn't know exactly where it was, but it was on the right side where I normally keep it. But it had somehow fell down. You know, I didn't do it. I was everybody asked me, how did you lose it? I'm like, I didn't lose the damn thing. You know, somebody moved it and it just wasn't in the place that I thought that it should be. And so. I run back out on the field, and there's a clip. If you watch the first couple of plays, John Madden, who just passed away, John Madden right away goes, 
Thurman Thomas is not on the football field. Thurman Thomas is not on the football field. It's in the broadcast. John Madden is talking about it. And so I end up digging around. Now, I made a decision like really quick because there was a helmet there, but it was the punters. And they only had like one bar going across. And I was not going to run out there with that damn helmet. The so, Joe Theismann. Yeah, the Joe <laughs> Theismann. Yeah, I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. Whatever, you know. So, um, but a buddy of mine, my running back buddy, Kenny Davis, man, he goes out first couple of plays, whatever you, you know, I end up finding, I go back in on third, I go in on third down. I didn't miss two plays. So after that, man, everything went kind of downhill after that, you know? And so, uh, yeah, that's that story, man. I don't know how it happened or how it was moved. So I'm like you, man. I just, one of those things just happened, man. I just hate that it happened at the Super Bowl. Yeah, that would be. It, I had my backup, and I knew in plenty okay, of times. I didn't time. have a backup. Yeah, right. It's not. It's not like I was in the batter's box without a bat. Right. <laughs> you know, can somebody bring me a bat, please? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about as I was preparing for this. I'm thinking. I wonder how important a helmet is. Now, for me, a glove is a glove. Now, I make right. my living with it. I got to catch it. I don't want to use your glove. But I, I'm thinking a batter's helmet, as long as it, like if I misplace my helmet. Right. As long as somebody gives me a helmet that's the right. same size, I'll exactly. probably be fine for that game. Good. <laughs> you know, so but but it was interesting. I had to run that by because it's no, a, it's no a pretty interesting, and especially that it was at a Super Bowl made it kind of right. double right. glaring. You know, right? Exactly. Yeah, crazy. Okay, second baseman, running back. Here's here's my comparison, and I want to know what you think. Now, I, I was going through, I was trying to go through in my mind, my career and, and errors that I made. And, and a couple came to, to into mind that were, I made a crucial error at the wrong time. There weren't too many times, you know, we're always going to make mistakes and make errors. But usually for the most part, part a pitcher picks you up, something happens, you know, sometimes it might cost you a run here or there. Maybe you hit a home run, maybe you drive in a run to make up for that error. So errors happen fumbles fumbles happen i remember one error though for me and candlestick park jose rios pitching hits me a ground ball right through my legs didn't even touch my glove what was hit so hard it went all the way to the wall three runs score and i remember walking into that dugout we had a one-run lead rios pitching a gem and i remember i'm at the bottom of the barrel and i just kind of looked at jose and i said I am so, I was like a little kid. I said, I am so sorry. And he kind of looked at me and he, and he tried to make me feel good at the time. He goes, Booney, you picked me up so many times. Don't worry about it. We got your back. We end up coming back and winning the game. But I had a few times where we didn't come back and win the game. And, and my error played a crucial role. You know, you play long enough. Uh, things are going to happen, you know, and, and vice Vice versa, you're going to make an unbelievable play that you shouldn't have made and save a game. So it, right. it goes hand in hand. For me, what's the feeling for you as a, as a running back when you, when you fumble the ball? I mean, fumbles are going to happen. That's a part of the game. You know, yeah. the great plays and the great runs and the big touchdowns, when you shouldn't have scored, that's going to happen too. And when you're right. going to save the day. Yeah. What goes through your mind as, as a running back when you fumble at a crucial time? Well, do you feel bad for your team? Do you apologize? Do you do what I did and just turn into a little girl and start apologizing <laughs> to the pitcher? You well, tell I mean, Kelly, Kelly, I'm sorry. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean, perfect example was, you know, our um, our last Super Bowl run against the, uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. You know, we're 
coming out of halftime, we're leading, uh, I think, 13 to 6. And I have a crucial fumble. James Washington for the Cowboys picks it up, runs it back for a touchdown. Now, we're, we're leading thir- 13 to 6, but, you know, all of a sudden it's 13 to 13 because of a bad fumble, because of, you know, them picking it up and running it in and not them recovering it right there and have to go 30 yards for a touchdown, make it a little bit tougher on them. Um, yeah, I mean, you at a, at a crucial time like that in the game, like you say, even though it tied it up 13 to 13, the momentum has shifted terribly to uh, to our side because we were feeling good about ourselves coming out in the second half and uh, the momentum just shifted totally. Um, I couldn't get back on track. And on the other side of that, you know, it fired them up and all of a sudden, you know, Emmett is running 20, 30 yards, being the MVP of Super Bowl 28. And um, and it just changed the whole m- momentum of the football game. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, you know, I thought I could do something that would erase what had just happened, but I never got into the flow of the game yet. It just seemed like it deflated our entire football team because you got to think about it. You know, we're in our fourth Super Bowl. And from the first one until this one, something has gone wrong. And I think when that happened, you know what, as a as an athlete, you know what, you try to forget about it. You try to uh, pick your teammates up. I try to pick my offensive linemen up and and pick the defense up and let them be, you know, try to be able to maybe turn them to try to turn the momentum around. But after that, it just never happened for us again, especially in that game. And, uh, you know, I and I, I take responsibility for that. I mean, I, I see my guys now. Though those guys don't talk about it, but I've always said to them that I'm sorry that that happened at that important time in the game, and uh, and they've always been like, man, don't worry about that. Screw that crap. You know what we just said? Because Bruce or Daryl or Kaneas would have been like, you know what? We should have held them. You know, we should have held them after that, but we didn't. So, yeah, those things happen, Booney man. It's just how you. And I tell you what, the team um, that I played with. You know, there were 22 guys that played in all four Super Bowls. And uh, you know what? It's the best damn guys I've ever played with in my life as far as on the field and off the field. Uh, I, I wouldn't I, – if I had to go through it again, uh, Booney, i picked all those guys, man, to, uh, to ride the ship with. 2008, uh, you got inducted into the College Hall of Fame. You're in the Bills Wall of Fame. Uh, this is what I found really cool. And before we get to the ultimate honor, but uh, your number 34 got retired by the Bills. And, and, and I always think, you know, for a professional franchise, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of Hall of Fames, a lot of Wall of Fames. That's that's really cool. When you get your number retired, that's a different level. That's that's. Nobody in that professional organization will ever wear that number again, especially now uh, someone, an organization as as uh, high profile as the Buffalo Bills. You get your number retired. There's only three of you. And I didn't realize that till I went and did my homework. But it but it's yeah. Kelly, Kelly Smith and Thomas. That's that happened in 2018 for you. And I know the ultimate happened in 2007. And we'll get to that next. But it, being one of three. That's got to be a pretty darn good feeling when you get that phone call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the thing about it that made it so special, Boone, is that <clears throat> it was done by Kim and Terry Pagula, who own 
uh, the Buffalo Bills um, and the Buffalo Sabres, the hockey team here in Buffalo. And it was done by them for owners that I didn't even play for, you know, and getting that phone call from Kim and Terry to let me know that my number is going to be retired was, uh, was a special moment. Um, you kind of feel like, okay, you know what? You did just as good or equally to what Jim and what Bruce Smith brought to this organization and brought to this city. And for me to be the third one, um, was, was, was really damn special, man. And, uh, you know, I, I went a couple of days just thinking about what had re- what has really happened like over my career. You know, um, I had my number retired by the Bills. I've had my number retired by my high school, and I've also had my number retired by my college. And to see it done like in the pros is like, you know what, man. I may not have won a Super Bowl, but this is pretty damn special. Pretty damn special. And, uh, man, you know, when I got that call and I told my wife and kids, man, they were, like, over the top, man. And, like, Daddy, you deserve it and all this stuff. And uh, it was uh, it was great that that happened at that moment, especially from owners that I never got a chance to play for. Very cool. Hall of Fame, 2007. Uh, 2006 was your first year eligible. Didn't get in on that first ballot. Um, and I've had a lot of Hall of Famers on the podcast, mostly baseball, but some football guys, too. And, you know, from from the guys that were for sure first ballots to to guys that you kind of look at them and go, listen, man, it's it's obvious, you know, you're getting in. Right. I said, but yeah. do you ever know until, you know, and they said, you never know. I might have had one or two. I think Greg Maddox told me, he said, well, Booney, I looked at the numbers and I figured, how can they keep me out? And he's right. And he's right. You know, he's got three hundred and fifty wins. Right. But other than him. The rest of them all said, you know, until I get that phone call, I don't believe anybody. All my friends, all my family are telling me you're in, you're in. And and they all tell me the same thing. Until I got that call, right. nothing's so, – so take me through. You went through one uh, yeah. Hall of Fame and you didn't get in. Take me through that 2007 start to finish the day. Do you have your family with you uh, waiting for it? And I, and I know the football Hall of Fame has done a little bit different than the baseball. We had John Lynch on who, who just recently went into the Hall of yeah. Fame. Mm-hmm. He said that uh, Baker actually came to his door, knocked on his door because it was during COVID and – yeah, I don't know. But he said he, he saw Baker standing at the door. He couldn't believe it. He's like, are you kidding me? But uh, take me through your special day in 2007. Well, you know, um, I, like you said, I didn't get in on my first time. And and I was really, like, really disappointed. I was like, I know I did enough in my damn career to get be a first ballot of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And so I didn't get picked. Um, and I, I can tell somebody was kind of looking after me and that person who was looking after me was, um, was Deacon Jones who passed away several years ago. Deacon Jones came up to me like, right. Cause he was, sta- we we're actually staying in the same hotel. He came up to me and said, I know you're pissed off, but let me tell you, when you get in, it's going to feel like your first time. And I was like, okay, all right. So I get in the second year. Um, I can remember getting the call 
from our reporter here, because wherever city you're in, the reporter that's there, they call you, uh, Mark Gone, and he called, he's told me, and I was in the room with my wife and my kids, and but I heard this voice coming down the hallway, and it was my mom screaming, we got in, we got in. She had heard it from somewhere else, and <laughs> uh, yeah, and so it was like, Man, you know, and uh, and then you finally you realize, like, you know what, you're in. This does feel like it's the first time. And I have remembered that quote from Deacon Jones. And I tell that quote to a lot of guys who don't get in like the first time. Like, there's no way in hell like T.O. shouldn't have got in in the first time. I mean, the, the, the guy got numbers right up there with Jared Rice and Randy Moss. So how could you keep him out on the first ballot? And so I tell that to a lot of guys who think they are going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but that doesn't happen to them. And it drops down to their second, third, fourth, fifth year or whatever. So uh, when I got in, man, man, I feel like I had made it, you know, even though like losing those four Super Bowls, like everything went away for that one moment. Everything went away for that one moment that, I was now among the greats and it didn't you didn't care if you didn't didn't win a Super Bowl. You were there with the greats. And my first year there, man, the, the, the two guys that I really, really wanted to shake hands and hug was uh, Earl Campbell and Jim Brown. And and ever since that day has happened for me in 2007, those are the two guys that I go back and I shake their hands and I hug them. And I talk to them, have a conversation with, and you know, it's it's um it's been special being in there because, you know, a lot of your heroes that you grew up watching are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and you get to see the guys that are coming in year after year. But for me, the guys that were before me, those are the guys that I really appreciate because they throw down the knowledge of what it means to be in the pro football hall of fame. And um, it's been, I go back every year. I've only missed one year since I've been in, in 2007. Uh, that was a year that my daughter graduated. And that was a year that Emma Smith went in and he still gives me grief about it. But I would always tell him though. Yeah, man. But my, my daughter graduated from the same school you did university of Florida. So I had to miss it. Very cool. And and I think, you know, I, I, I look at the differences, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame and, and the NFL. Uh, there's a plaque in Major League Baseball. There's a bust in Canton. How'd you get your bust done? Is that like a, a whole process? Oh, it's a whole day process, about six or seven hours. That's cool, though. I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I got it done in Orlando. Guy came there. I think he flew in from. I think he flew in from Indianapolis and uh, um, he did it at the house, you know, came there early in the morning and, um, you know, my kids uh, come home from school about two thirty, three o'clock. And, you know, this guy is sitting there making this sculpture and my daughter, one of my daughters goes and getting in the golf cart and all of a sudden, you know, I got 15, 20 kids at my house looking at me getting sculptured <laughs> by some guy <laughs> in our in our living room. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, 
it was pretty cool getting that opportunity to have that bust made there. Uh, you know, you didn't see the finishing product until you got to the Hall of Fame, and that's where you got your jacket. Uh, you know, they sent, sent somebody to take all your measurements or what have you. And, uh, yeah, it was a special day, you know, to get that made and then have it unveiled uh, there at the uh, in Canton, Ohio, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with, you know, getting a gold jacket, man, because um, those, those gold jackets are special. Uh, when people see those, they, they know exactly what they are. And I don't know if people know that they're made by, they're not made by some fancy um, designer. They're made by Hager, which goes way back. <laughs> you know, you know, it was cool because uh, we had Steve Largent on the program and he was talking about his yellow jacket. Andre talked about his yellow jacket and Largent was a part of that all, I think, century team. And there was a red jacket. And so I'm sitting there, you know, baseball player. What do I know about the NFL? I said, that red jacket being a part of that all century team, that has to be something special. And he kind of poo-pooed it. He said, Booney, I'll tell you what, the red jacket's cool. He said, but I don't break that out. He said, my guys are that football hall, the the football hall of fame, yeah. Canton, Ohio, that yellow jacket. That's my that's my people right there. Not that yeah. red jacket. Right. And I thought that was cool. And, and yeah. uh, you know, because just the layman take would be, wow, the Hall of Fame is one thing. But the, you're you're all century team. I mean, that's even a smaller group of people. But he he told me he said, no, he said, yellow jacket. That's my people, Booney. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. Uh, you mentioned Earl Campbell. I know he was a big probably, probably the reason you're wearing 34. But I remember Earl Campbell and uh, Thurman growing up. You know, I was a football fan. I, I love watching in the 80s. I like watching those Cowboys. And, the, you know, I grew up in Philly, so. I love watching the Eagles, but man, Earl Campbell running for those Houston Oilers with those legs bigger than life. I remember as a kid watching him go, man, that Earl Campbell, he's got bigger legs than anyone I've ever seen. So yeah. I loved, I loved Earl too as a kid. Yeah. Earl, Earl was my guy, man. He was my guy. Uh, what should those great Bills teams be remembered for when it's all said and done? Oh man. You know what is, um, man. It's hard to be. It's hard to see. or try to pick out something that you're remembered by. Um, you know what? I just think we should be remembered by uh, the football team that never gave up. Uh, a football team that it just didn't work out for four years in a row. Man, um, we had guys on. We had guys on that football team that anybody in the United States would love to hang out with. I mean, you talk about a bunch of down-to-earth guys uh, that knew each other's family, their cousins, their aunts, their uncles, everybody. Uh, it, it was such a uh, level-headed uh, organization as far as players were going. I mean, we, we, we worked harder than anybody else, man. I mean, we, we had guys on our football team that, you know, that worked really hard, that really understood the game and never missed practices. You know, we, we had a bunch of guys that, you know, that played, you know, almost close to 200 games for the Buffalo Bills. And when you're with the organization that long, that means you're doing something right. And, um, and those guys uh, that I played with with the Super Bowl, we 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 did it the right way, and it just did not happen for us and for an, an opportunity for us to win one here for the city of Buffalo and Bills Mafia. So, uh, hey, just a bunch of tough uh, blue collar, hardworking guys, man. That uh, 
that didn't get the ultimate prize of the Super Bowl, but uh, had a damn good time of uh, trying to get one and have a lot of fun with the fans trying to get one. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, the great Barry Sanders, uh, he wasn't lucky enough to ever even get to a Super Bowl, let alone four. And remember, Thurman, remember what I said for everybody, all the haters out there say, hey, try to get try getting to four in a row before you have an opinion. Right. <laughs> That's <You're> my right. <laughs> answer. Thurman Thomas, uh, it's it, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. And what we do each and every Boone podcast at the end is we bring in the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy, for a question from the fans. Dan? Gentlemen, Thurman, how are you? Good, good. All right, Thurman. This one comes from David in Buffalo, and he just wants to know what it means. Talk about what the uh, Buffalo Bill fans meant to you or mean to you. Oh, man. You know what? (laughs) They were a part of my life. I don't think I ever had a couple. I've had a couple of beers probably with millions of fans here in the Buffalo area, man. You talk about a a fan base that has been through the ups and the downs, um, having losing four straight Super Bowls, uh, going through 17 years of not even making the playoffs. And uh, these fans are the best, man. I'm let me tell you, this is one of those places where, yeah, you may worry about, think about the snow before coming here. But I tell you, once you get here, you never leave. You never leave. We have, I was telling Brett, we have more uh, former players that live in our city that play for the Bills than the National Football League all across other teams. But on the flip side of that, our Buffalo Sabres, the hockey team, they have a high percentage of former players that still live here in the Buffalo area. And, uh, hey, it's, it, when this town is winning, like we have been up for in the last five years, haven't got the Super Bowl yet, but these fans are behind these guys. And they're behind former Bills and the Bills that play today. It's the best-kept secret in the world. Thurman Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boone Podcast. Sir, we appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Great being on with Booney. Love it. Mailbag. All right, Boone, you know that sound, don't you? Mailbag time, Dad. It sounds so good when you say it, Brett. All right, this one comes from Melissa in Schaumburg, and she wants to know, Brett, in the NFL right now, they are cleaning houses, GMs, coaches, everyone's starting to get cleaned out. Have you ever been a part of a team where that has happened and you're still on that team, and what's that like? I was. Uh, 2005 Mariners and... um, you know, a lot of the great players of, of that little run we had in the early 2000s, the Jay Buners and the Norm Charltons and the John Olaroods, uh, Dan Wilson behind the plate, Mike Cameron, they'd all moved on. You know, Edgar Martinez had retired. And I was one of the few few guys standing from that last run we had. And, you know, I, I kind of felt it. Yeah, I kind of felt that we we're moving on from our generation and, and they were going to get some some new blood in there. And the, and the kind of the writing was on the wall for me. I kind of, you know, I saw a young second baseman coming up and uh, he had come up late in the year in September. And I, I helped him as much as uh, as I could. Uh, 
Uh, and I just kind of knew it, it, it was a time to change. It was a time for me to move on. I didn't know at that point if I was going to kind of play anymore, but I, I knew that I wasn't going to play for the Seattle Mariners. It had been a great run. I, I appreciated my time there so much, but yes, definitely been a part of it. It's kind of weird. It's surreal. It's sad in a way, but, but on the other, on the other side of the coin, it's like, you know, new adventures to come, whatever they may be in front of you. Cause all great runs have to come to an end. You know, we just had Thurman Thomas on, and uh, it was kind of a little bittersweet for him at the end because of all those years in Buffalo, I, I didn't have as long a run in Seattle, but, but nevertheless, I had a, a, a pretty, pretty awesome run and, and it had to come to an end too. you know, all good things. They come to an end. So I've definitely been a part of it. Uh, and like I said, part of me was sad. Part of me was, Hey, what does the future hold? So uh, it just kind of being a professional and moving on. That's, that's the way the game goes. Life goes on. You're, you're always, you're always replaceable. Remember that, you know, and I tell players that uh, current players like appreciate what you have now, because one day you won't be there. there will be some young kid taking your spot. So, so enjoy it and, and, and appreciate it uh, while you have it. Well, there is one thing that's not replaceable, and that's Brett Boone and this podcast. And that's going to do it for today. My name is Dan Levy. I am the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. The EP executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital gets taken care of by Liz Landry. And we ask that you please share the Boone Podcast with neighbors and friends. And make sure you subscribe to the Boone Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boone Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boone Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Booner, flip the bat. Let's get out of here. Let's do it.